made it. We're going to worship this morning. We're going to lift up Jesus. So I just invite you to stand on your feet and sing along with us, okay? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room. In heaven and nature sing, in heaven and nature sing. And heaven in heaven in nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Joy, unspeakable joy, and overflowing way. No tongue can tell joy, unspeakable joy, it rises in my soul, never lets me go, he rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove. And wonders of his love, and wonders of his love, and wonders, wonders of his love. Joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing well, no tongue can tell. Joy. Unspeakable joy that rises in my soul, never lets me go. Who breaks the power? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless 
in awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You lay down your life that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan? A son and daughter, the King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You lay down your life, you lay down your life, that I would be set free. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You lay down your life, that I would be set free. Oh. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. During this time, we have an avid story that we want to share with you. So you may be seated just for a second, just for a moment, while we invite our speakers up here to the stage.
Good morning, church. So uh, we've been invited to talk about how God has shown up for us this year and uh, what our expectations were uh, for God in our life. So last year we were fortunate enough to purchase our first home. Um, it this thank you, but this was a 13-year battle, guys, for real. Like we've been trying for 13 years to buy a home. Uh, everybody told us no, um, and we were, or at least me, I can speak for myself. I was this close to giving up, and um, you know, it's in those moments for me that right when I'm about to give up, that's when the miracle happens. And it's like I feel like if as long as I keep the faith in God for him to show up and believe in him to show up in our lives you know hope is never lost so um I really believe that um this year um we were uh we start the year off making vision boards um with everybody and it was a little difficult because you know got a teenager at home trying to convince them to do vision boards on New Year's Eve night this didn't go over too well they didn't participate like I wanted them to but you know I'm a firm believer you know the, the Bible says write the vision down and make it plain so that's what I was trying to do for our family right um, spend time making vision boards and on my vision board uh, has some things that didn't quite come yet like I put a Porsche on there right I don't have my Porsche yet but it's coming I believe God right um, but I put on there that I wanted to continue to make our home a beautiful home and a, and a home that's built on just like gratefulness because that's where I am in my life right now. I'm extremely, extremely grateful. Um, I have a long story to tell, but I'm not going to tell it tonight. You know, we could talk about it over dinner and coffee or whatever like that. You know, um, I like food, but, um, you know, like I have a long story to tell, but you know, the, the gist of it is gratefulness because all the trials and tribulations that we've been through in our marriage and our family and my life is just to see where God has brought me from is amazing. So uh, that's what I expected God to do for me this year is to continue with that, you know, uh, continue to bless us in, in the midst of, you know, my trials and tribulations and, and about this close to losing hope and things like that. I'm, I look forward for God to show up in my life. So um, that's what I expect God to do. Uh, also, I put on there on my vision board that I wanted to get healthy, right? Um, so in my mind, it, it looked like I was going to go to the gym and all of that type of good stuff. That's not what happened. Um, you know, they, they say if you want to hear God laugh, make your plans, right? So um, my plan was to get in the gym and get healthy and all of that. God saw health in me different. So I found myself at doctor's offices uh, uh, trying to fix things that's been wrong with me for years, for like long years. And um, that's how God showed up for me this year. You know, he's allowed me to get healthy in that manner of uh, getting. I had two surgeries this year, guys, one on my spine in January and then another issue uh, just, just this past September. So, um, you know that is what health i guess for god looks like uh you know when we're talking about my vision board but just speaking on that like i'm grateful to to still be standing here you know going through two surgeries this year so um 
you know, that's that's my story. Okay, so when Pastor Mark asked us to what we, um, for Advent, like what we saw last year happening, what we expected for 2023, I'll be honest, I had no real plans for 2023, no real expectations. I was kind of just going with the flow. I'm a student and working and kids, so I was just like, God, wherever you take me, I'm going, I'm going to do my best. But what is interesting is that I found myself wanting to know God more. So we went to a church. I've been at the same church before this for 14 years. Um, no, since I was 14. And my growth was stunted in the Lord. I was not moving. I was not growing. I was not praying. But me coming to rethink for Christmas in the Ville was just like, we're just going to go have fun. But I found myself wanting to come here. I was drawn to come here. I wanted to know more. I received the word way differently. So when it's rethink church, I was rethinking church for real. And I really just am so grateful of God's faithfulness towards me all the time. God is so faithful. And whenever I think that we're not going to have enough or whenever something comes up, um, he just comes through and I'm getting to the point where I'm like, God, I know you got it. I know you got me. And just being comfortable with that and just loving on him more and wanting to spend quiet time with him, wanting him to walk with me, wanting him to be in my job with me, just really is how I'm rethinking church. So I'm glad I didn't have any expectations because he led me to where he wanted me to be. And I love him so much for that. All right, God. Wasn't that so encouraging, church? To hear the lives of fellow members here being encouraged in Jesus. God is so faithful. I don't know what your expectations are for this remainder of the year, but I encourage you to seek Jesus, just to be in his presence, just to be in his stillness. So normally I would have you stand back up for worship, but I really want you to just reflect. Reflect on these words. Reflect on Jesus. Reflect on his faithfulness. And just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. You think you can do that, church? Amen. Fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Dreams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. 
Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love If you know a church, I encourage you to sing along. Here I raise. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus saw me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God Here's to rescue me from danger Interpose His precious blood To grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be Let thy grace now like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mountain fixed upon it
How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? No, we'll see how great, how great is our God. Can we let that rise, church? How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time in worship, this time of sharing stories and being encouraged. And God, help us carry this throughout the rest of the year. Help us be a joy and a light unto our communities. And Lord, we even ask you to minister to those here today who really need that encouragement. You know, this season is so full of joy, but there are some of us who are really suffering during this time either because of loss of loved ones or our situations just aren't quite where we want them to be. But church, be encouraged that God is faithful, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he's on your side. And that the work that he started in you, he's going to see it through to completion. Lord, we love you. And we just thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, can we give a hand clap of praise for Jesus? Come on, isn't he good? Isn't he faithful? And also give a hand clap for uh, Roland, because he's got some announcements. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Uh, my name is Roland. I'm one of the leaders here at Rethink, and we are glad you guys are here with us today. If you are new or visiting with us, we would love to get to hear your story, your name, why you chose to come to Rethink today. Um, so we have a guest services area right outside the doors. Uh, if you want to come after the service, we have a gift for you. And again, we just love to hear why you chose to come today and a little bit about you. Um, we try to give as many resources as we can here at Rethink to help you guys grow in your spiritual walk. One of those resources we have is Right Now Media, which is a website, app, uh, service where you can have Bible studies. Uh, there are Christian TV shows on there. They just added a Bible study on the Beatitudes. Um, so if you scan that QR code, you can get a free account from the Rethinkers here at Rethink Church. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Uh, so you don't have to pay for this service. If you scan that QR code, you'll make an account for free and have access to all these Bible studies and shows, positive shows and things like that. So scan that QR code, sign up today. Uh, also, after service, we are wrapping the gifts that we have in the back. If you are gifted in gift wrapping, we can use... Uh, gift wrapping is like a Rubik's Cube for me. I... I'm going to cut it and just tape it wherever. Um, I'll use the bag if I can, just leave it in the bag. Uh, but we're gift wrapping after service. So if you're gifted at that, uh, we would love your help right after the service. Make sure you pick up your kids 
too. Don't, don't leave your kids back there <laughs> for 45 minutes. So pick your kids up and come and help get wrapped, all right? Uh, and lastly, you guys have such giving hearts here at Rethink, and we're thankful for that. And uh, giving is an act of worship. And um, worship is when you give your deepest affections and highest praise to something. Your deepest affections and your highest praise to something. And I think God knew that we would have such an attachment to money. <laughs> That's why he calls us to give our tithe and offering through money. Um, and uh, it's hard because we work for it, right? It's like it's our money. But I think God wants us to check ourselves, check our hearts, check our minds, because where our treasure is, that's where our heart is also. And um, there are a couple different ways to give here at Rethink. You can give in the black box in the back by the back doors there, um, or you could go to rethinkchurch.cc and click the Give tab and give there. Um, I just encourage you guys, check your heart, check your finances, uh, check what God is calling you to give sacrificially for his kingdom because it does a lot here for Rethink and for Maryville, Indiana. Uh, so we're thankful for that. Mark's going to bring another message today, guys, about Gideon, I'm guessing. <laughs> last week we talked about Hagar, and uh, I just want you guys to remember from last week that God sees you. Uh, whatever your circumstance is, whatever you're going through, we talked about maybe this is a, a tough season for you. Remember, God sees you. Jesus sees you. He's with you in your story, and he cares. All right? So open your, your heart and your mind today to this message. My name is Mark at the Pastor Church, and today we're going to be in Judges chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can get there somehow, turn them on, pull out old school paper Bible, whatever it is. Uh, well, that's where we're going to be, and we'll read through some stuff. So uh, what we've been doing this Advent season is we're getting to look and see how God has been preparing his people for generations, for thousands of years before Jesus actually shows up permanent, like not permanently, because he'll be here for 33 years. That's not a permanent status, right? But like God will be on this earth permanently. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, but, so, I think I've told you this, I, uh, I got out of the, the habit or the rhythm of naming sermons, because I'm like, Matthew chapter 7, how about that, or Mark chapter 5, and that seemed like a creative enough title, um, because whatever, but, you know, so, but if I had to name this sermon, this would be wrong place, right time, uh, and what we're going to find out is, I don't know if you've ever been in the wrong place at the right time, uh, for me, but I've always, like, in middle school, we, walk, we would walk to school and we would walk right by a drugstore. And this is back in the 90s where like cough syrups were out in the wild, wild west, just out in the open. You know, you'd just buy it. And then I would drink the whole thing before I got to school. And that was also when they had 
a little more alcohol in. So I'd show up to seventh, or like, you know, seventh and eighth, or sixth and seventh graders is when I started doing this. And then the pharmacist actually found out, like, oh, he's been doing this a lot. And so he went to the high school, he went to the middle school and told our principal, and the principal called me in, and I was not in a clear state of mind as a 12-year-old or whatever. You know what I mean? So he's asking me questions, and I'm just not answering properly. I'll put it that way. You know what I mean? And so that was one of those moments of, like, this, his confrontation, his, like, the wrong place, but at the right time type of a thing, he called me out. And it was this wake-up moment for me of, like, and like the idea of following Jesus wasn't even on my radar. Like, I showed up to church because my mom made me. You know what I mean? But, like, wanting to actually change my behavior was, like, whatever. Uh, but I remember this pharmacist, like, called me out and said, you're going to be an addict. And I was, like, and I was like, an addict? What are you talking about? Like, and he's like, this is, this is a behavior you're going to be established as a seventh grader. And I was like, oh, I should probably change this behavior. So I went down from, like, every day or for a week, like, for weeks on end, to, like, a couple times a week on end to, like, now the cough syrup. Because, by the way, cough syrup doesn't even taste good. Yeah. You're not drinking this, hmm, this tastes like a soda. You're like, no, right? Like, you're just whatever. So I remember that thought, but that pattern. And there's time after time where I've been in the wrong place and somebody is at the right time, and you just kind of get caught, right? And so this is one of those scenarios in Judges chapter 6 uh, that we're going to look through. And what we're seeing here is that God is not waiting for his people to get ready. He just shows up. And he just shows up, and he's un, like, they're not expected. They're not like, oh, yeah, I see these signs. And like, you know, like we've had how many people trying to figure out, like, when's Jesus returning? It's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, you're never going to figure this out. Like, Scripture was very clear about that. So, Judges chapter 6, this is how it starts off. <clears throat> the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, in caves, and in strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples would invade the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way into Gaza. They did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. And they came up with their livestock in their tents and swar like swarms of locusts. They were, it was impossible to count the, the number of their camels, and they invaded the land and ravaged it. Now, let me just give us a backdrop of the time of Judges. We were in Genesis chapter, uh, whatever that chapter was last week. Here we are uh, in, in Judges. And Judges is this time frame where <coughs> it's after this time where Israel was enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, and God will miraculously sh like show up and deliver them out of there. And that generation was supposed to go into the promised land, but they doubt God, and they're like, no way, we can't do this. And so they, they resisted God and said, God's like, okay, cool, this like, few-week journey here is going to turn into a 40-year journey. And once the last person of that generation died off, the second generation will go in and take over the promised land, the Canaan land. And so they did this, and now they've established it. They have this conquest issues that we'll talk about next week a little bit. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they started establishing their culture and their civilizations in, within, the, within the country, and now they struggle with staying faithful. This is something that is going to be crucial for them all throughout their whole story. They cannot learn how to be faithful to, to just Yahweh. They, they will figure this out time and time again, like moments, but then there's majority of the time where they just don't. Uh, there's a cliche saying that it only took a few weeks to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took generations to get Egypt out of Israel. That they were so ingrained with this 
this pantheon of gods, this pantheons of worship and stuff like that, uh, that it was hard to, to, to try to figure out. Like, and so when we talk about uh, trying to be faithful, in Exodus chapters 19 and 20, the description here, this is where the God gives like, the Ten Commandments. All the imagery that's going on here is a wedding ceremony. That Yahweh is actually marrying Israel. It's a weird thing for guys to think about. So, like, like by the way, being a youth pastor t- teaching sixth and seventh graders this kind of language, that was awesome to watch. This kid named Jacob Moody who had no filter. He'd be like, what do you mean I'm going to marry God? And I was like, don't get too graphic, dude. Shut up. You know what I mean? Like, like stay in your lane. That, all that kind of stuff. But it was awesome because he would just ask the questions that I would probably have asked when I was in seventh grade or sixth grader. But now he's doing it, so I don't get in trouble. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, anyway. So, anyway, so here's this idea. This idea of being married to, to God for the Israelites was this, this, this was deep and rich in their marriage ceremonies. But all of a sudden now they're like, how do we do this? And what God is asking them to do is stay faithful. And what does faithful mean in a marriage? Exclusivity. Exclusivity is the thing that fuels passionate and healthy marriages. It's not your six-pack abs. I mean, there's probably some of it, but like, there's like, if you're, how great would it be if you have an amazing body, but you're not faithful? That your spouse can be like, oh yeah, let me look over that because of your six-pack abs or your biceps. Not really, right? But this is the, this is the thing. In Israel, they, they sucked at being exclusive to God. All throughout Israel, you can see this. You have sites like, uh, here's in Tel Aviv. This is the first site. You'll see this up here. Um, I'm going to put that first image up. It's like a, that you go into and it's a small little temple. And you're like, why do we have a small little temple in the northern part of Israel? And you go to the next picture and here they are. There's two pillars. There's two altars. The, the one, the taller one right here on the right or your left is a temple, is an is a altar to Yahweh. And the smaller one is the altar of Asherah. As you walk into the site, you see it says Yahweh and his Asherah. It's Yahweh and his goddess. Because in the Israelites' mindset in the ancient world, everything that God did in Egypt, everything that God has done in their history, there's no way that Yahweh himself did it all. He must need help from other gods. You go down to Timnah in the, in the copper mine area. And this is right at the edge of Egypt and Israel. And you see this. We were walking around here, and we saw these all over the place. And then I'll, like, we turned this corner, and we're like, why do we have a little temple here? And this is, this is temple of, Yah- of Yahweh and Hartha, the Egyptian goddess, who, by the way, is depicted as a calf. And what do the Israelites make as they come out of Egypt? A golden calf. They're thinking, there's no way. If you want to go to the next picture, you'll see the pillars here, the, these two altars here. There's no way in, in their mindset that everything that God did, God did by himself. And so they would struggle time after time after time, generation after generation after generation to be exclusive. They would never deny that God himself did these things, but there's no way that God only did these things. That God must have needed help. And we would never do this ourselves, right? We're never like, God, it's, I will worship you plus my politics. I'll worship you plus my bank account. I'll worship you plus my job status. We would never do those things, right? We're so faithful to God, and it's always just God, 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 right? We would never struggle with any of these things. So it's probably hard to understand, I get. But like, 
this is the reality that Israel is finding themselves in. And they're surrounded by people who have no problem worshiping other gods. They have no problem with doing all this. And so when, when Israel is not exclusive, God takes his hand of protection off. You see this pattern time after time after time in the book of Judges. The people do what is right in their own eyes, which is evil in the eyes of God. God's like, fine, cool. You, want, you don't want my part of your life? Have at it. You know what I mean? And then, all of a sudden, there's an oppressor, there's something, Amalekites, Midians, whatever. They come, Philistines, they'll come in, and they'll just rule over Israel. And then it drives them to this point of them crying out to God, and God leads up a leader and brings deliverance. And you would think, oh, there's this pattern. We should do this. But how ignorant and dense are we? We do the same thing. We do the pattern after pattern after pattern. Why can't I lose weight as you're eating bags of chips every night at 9 p.m.? You like are healthy all the way through, but then you're like, oh, man, this TV show is really stressful. I need a bag of chips right now. <laughs> or like a pint of Ben and Jerry's. You know what I mean? Like this, this, I know it's a fake TV show, but man, this really has my emotions going. And, or you like, I don't watch this crap. I, I walk my classroom and I just watch what kids are watching. I'm like, why are you watching Love Island? What the crap is this? Like, I can't tell them what I really think of it because it'll get me in trouble. But like, you don't need to fill your mind with this kind of crap. But we do this all the time. We'll sit there and we'll passively just watch things. And then we get stressed out. And they're like, okay, right? Like, that's the natural pattern here. That's over and over again. So here's the backstory of Judges chapter 6. That's, that's this. And they find themselves in a horrible place, not geographically, not physically, but in a, a horrible spiritual place. They're in the right place, but they're in the wrong place. Been there? Have you ever showed up to church with a horrible attitude? Mad? Like, I love watching you as a married couple come up and walk up the door. I'm like, oh, they're in a fight. This is awesome. <laughs> like, how you doing today? Oh, we're doing great. No, you're not. Let's not church it up, right? Like, let's just, like, I don't call you out for it because this is, this is the internal mind going on in my head. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. I won't, even, I won't give you examples, but it's there. I'm like, it's beautiful. I love it. I love it when we don't church things up. When we're like, hey, how you doing today? I'm having a bad day. I'll ask one of you today. How you doing today? It's not good. Great. Awesome. Thanks for not churching up. I don't, like, why lie in church, right? So it's all part of that process. So, um, but here's the deal. Like, sometimes we find ourselves in bad situations, and God's okay with it. In fact, I think God sometimes ordains it. What does verse 1 say? The, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord handed them over to Midian. They were oppressed, they were bullied, they are abused, they are whatever. Like, think about this. Like, what we're going to find out is they're hiding every aspect of life from the Midians because of how oppressive they were. There's nothing nice about the Midians ruling over them. Does that make sense? They're like, oh, thanks. We could never have done this ourselves. So thank you so much for ruling over us, right? Down to like taking their food and destroying their crops. And they're like, man, what in the world? But yet God has ordained this. We hate this idea in the Western church that the bad situations that we find ourselves in are actually ordained by God sometimes. Some of the situations we're doing with right now if, if we were to, like, we'll just tell everybody stories, you know what I mean? Like, sit around and tell a circle, and you couldn't lie, we, like, gave you truth serum. Some of us would end up in jail. Some of us would be really embarrassed. 
some of us, like your spouse would be like, what the crap are you, like, you know what I mean? If we had to actually be honest about it, it would be shameful and embarrassing and justice, and that's the beauty of church. God already knows it. You're not hiding anything from him by not saying it. It's not like, oh my goodness, I didn't, like, he's not surprised by any of your stuff. And yet, what we're going to find out is he still shows up, Right? In fact, the feeling of shame, the feeling of embarrassment, I think sometimes maybe God has actually ordained these things. And I know, like I, I grew up in a church where shame is never from God. Are you sure? I don't know about that. Because I've been in seasons where I felt shame upon shame upon shame. And it was out of that shame that it drew me to a place of repentance. I was never encouraged, oh, you're doing such a great job. Like, how great would it be for you to keep sinning and somebody encouraging, oh, you're perfect just the way you are. No, you're not. Why? Right? Imagine if you hired a personal trainer to actually get you into shape, and that personal trainer said, dude, you have to change the way you eat and work, actually work out, and you didn't do it, but you tried and you showed up, and he's like, here's your gold star, and you're like continually gaining weight, and you're like, what am I doing wrong? I don't know, but just keep going. Like, would you fire the personal trainer? Probably. But if the personal trainer said, dude, you suck at doing pull-ups, learn how to freaking do them, and by the way, eat a vegetable, you'd probably be like, would it make your feelings hurt? Probably. But then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I can do these things. That's, that's part of this job. Like, that's what God is actually doing here. He's putting them in a situation. He's taking his hand off their, off their protection. He's like, enjoy. And if you look at the map, like Israel is this small little tiny country surrounded by massive empires in the ancient world. It's like, a, like I had a professor who said it's like this, that Israel is like a mouse, and they're in this little pen, and there's like lions and tigers and pumas and cheetahs. If you look at the ancient countries, and now he's like, hey, by the way, just protect yourself. Oh, you can't do that? Let me protect you for you. But as soon as they don't want God around, he takes his hand of protection off. And that little mice, not mouse now has to figure out how to live life in a pen of lions, a pen of cats, and stuff like that. So that's the unpopular opinion, is that sometimes... We just, we just get to the point where like, we've created a mess ourselves and now we have to deal with it. And in that mess, God didn't cause you to do it, but God is going to ordain these times of, of trials and being in the wrong place and just all this other stuff. My freshman year of college, <coughs> if there was ever a year or a season where I easily could have gone off the rails, it was it. I was a decent sound engineer, but a decent sound engineer is better than a bad sound engineer, so I got a job as a sound engineer with the band. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't, I'm not great, but I can do the things and make it look like, or hear sound like, oh yeah, you know what you're doing. So I traveled with this band, uh, and then for some reason, like halfway through, I got uh, like promoted to um, being in charge of all the sound systems, of, like, like all the teams that travel and stuff like that. So I got a company credit card as a 19-year-old. It's a stupid decision. Don't ever do that. Like, and back in the, this is 2000, okay? So I got a cell phone for the, comp, for the school as well for Indiana Wesleyan. And I could never make a phone call unless it was past nine or on the weekends. And some of us know what nights and weekends meant, right? And if you made a phone call outside of that, it was like, dude, you better not go over those 10 minutes that you got because of your paid contract and all that. So I remember my, my boss telling me, don't ever answer a phone call or call somebody before nine o'clock. I was like, cool. So I was in California one time and uh, because it's, you know, not 9 o'clock in California, the same time it is in New York. This team called me from New York, and I ignored it, ignored it, ignored it until it was 9 o'clock for me. But it was my boss calling me saying, hey, the sound system just broke. Can you order a brand new one? So I called Sweetwater. They overnighted it. And I thought, man, look how good I am. 
Like I have this company card, I have all this other stuff, and this is how great I am. I didn't think it was God alone blessing me. I thought, this is my accomplishment. This is, this is me. Look how smart I am. Look at all these other things. So because of this, uh, I was a Christian ministries major, and we had to declare our freshman year or so. And so I was a Christian ministries major, so we would go to camps and stuff like that. And sometimes the camps would be like, hey, would one of you share like a sermon and stuff like that? And for whatever reason, majority of the time, I would be the person to do this. And I'm like, man, look how good I am. Look how elevated. I'm, like, I'm 19 years old, giving sermons and stuff like that. Running sound for band and people that I should never have been like, I shouldn't be invited to this, but here I am doing this. And so I thought, man, this is awesome. Somehow within this time frame, I got a girlfriend that I should never have been a date, like toxic relationships and all that, doing things I never should have been doing. And I remember the feeling of like, if people actually knew what I was thinking and doing and all this, there's no way I'd be in this position. There's no way I'd have like, but I was very good at covering it. Does that make sense? So here's this like double life going on showing up to Christian ministries and all this other stuff, acting like I know all the things and just like I'm this perfect sound engineer person and all this. Um, and then I remember coming home and my younger sister made a comment one time and it pierced me and it hurt. Like you just this painful comment. And it was one of those moments of like my feelings are hurt. And so I left. You know what I mean? The next time I came home, Marie, my older sister, made a comment and she had this perfect way of saying like, hey, let's talk without like, hey, let's talk. You know what I mean? And so we would sit down, we were just talking at a, at, a, at a couch or whatever, and she looked at me and she's like, I hate who you're becoming. And that hurt. That would like, that pierced me. Does that make sense? Like, here's my older sister who's never actually said a mean word in her life, but like, like she said it in such a way that I was like, oh, thanks a lot. You know what I mean? And then as I was driving home, I remember feeling and thinking like all of her words and just how painful it was. Um, and then I showed up to, to college about a month into college I had a good friend, his name was Jake, and he was like, and he knew that I liked Heather and all this, uh, but he was like, hey, you just need to know this, like who you are right now and who Heather's actually looking for, you'll never even, you might as well just give up. Does that make sense? And I was like, great, awesome. And it wasn't the idea of like, like Heather's looking for somebody and you're not even on the same playing field that hurt my feelings. It was, I was, I was exposed. I thought I had this great facade going on. And that, that's what wrecked me. That's what, and it brought me to this point of shame. And I remember walking around for about two weeks at college just embarrassed and shamed. And if people actually thought and got like who I actually was, I would have been embarrassed. Does that make sense? Like, and so I remember having this feeling of shame. And somebody told me in, a, in passing one time that shame you should never feel. It's not from God. And I was like, okay, cool. So this all must be Satan. This is all spiritual attacks from Satan. And then I went to counseling one time because I was like, I should probably get this, some of these daddy issues figured out and whatever else is going on here. And my counselor was like, yeah, you should probably feel shame because of what you've done. And I was like, conflicted. And he read to me the, the definition of shame. I just want to write, this is Oxford definition right here. A painful feeling of humiliation, distress, caused by consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. And I was like, yes, check please. Like, I have all of that. You know what I mean? Like, I remember sitting there going, I am embarrassed. I am shame of like, and he was like, so that's great. God already knows this. Now here's the next right step. God's not surprised by any of this. And so this part of this process, we, we liked in, the, in Western church, especially in America's church, like we love to feel good about yourself. We love the idea of like, but what we see time and time again throughout scriptures 
is that when we do our own thing, God takes his hand of protection off. He's not like, I hope you feel good about yourself right now. He lets the shame kind of sit. And it draws us to the next part. And here's the beautiful thing about this. Here's what we're going to see. That God doesn't wait for us to get ready. He doesn't wait for us to get good enough. He shows up anyway. And some of us, we need to know this. That you may be feeling convicted or shame or guilty or whatever, embarrassed. Awesome. God still shows up from your life too. The question is, will you lift your face off of the shame enough just to see him? I remember sitting in that counseling session one time because I went through, I had an addiction to porn. And <clears throat> I was like, before, like, no matter if Heather's the person I'm going to marry, somebody else is going to, I don't want to bring this crap into my life. So I went for counseling and thinking it was going to be like a three-step process. Cool, I get like, like a little recipe, like check one, check two, check three. Instead, it was like a 12-week thing. I was like, dude, can we hurry up and get through this? Like, I'm trying to fast track it, and the counselor's like, let's talk about this. Like, so I'm like, come on, like, hurry up. And I remember sitting there one time, and I'm like crying at this point, feeling embarrassed and shamed and all this, and he was like, great, now you're where the, like, God can speak to you. The facade is gone. And now let's work through this. And that's where some of you are, are at right now. And my prayer, my hope, like the whole purpose of this whole sermon is that we can at least acknowledge our shame, what brought us to the shameful, shameful part, and then lift our face off of it and see God. Because some of us, we actually need to do this. So, <coughs> so sometimes we're in a rough season, and we need to acknowledge that God sometimes ordains that, and it's for our good. Um, and so part of this process, now, what God is going to do in Genesis, or sorry, Judges chapter 6, he's going to send a prophet to get the people ready. For what God is about to do, if he, if he doesn't send the prophet, they're going to completely miss it. So God sends this prophet in, in verse 7, and all of a sudden now they're in here, they're, they're getting ready. Prophets, the point of a prophet is to actually get his people ready. Through word, through speaking, through calling out potential, all this other stuff. Jake, in, in that setting for me in college, was a prophet. He called something out of me. He was like, I know it's in there for you, or uh, of you, but the way you're acting right now, you'll completely miss the boat. You'll go down this path and it'll be cynical and all this other stuff. Um, and, and I remember feeling hurt, hurtful by it, hurted by it, like whatever. But this beautiful thing happened where all of a sudden God started working in me. So Judges chapter 6, verse 7, here's this prophet and he's going to start working on the people. He's going to start preparing the people. God always prepares his people so that we actually get to see it. The question is, will we pay attention enough to the signs? Sometimes those signs and those, the, the preparedness is God calling something out in us. We may not like it because it's like, oh, that hurt my feelings. Great, he's still working. Does that make sense? And so sometimes it's small enough that we don't even think about it. We just think it's like we expected this big grand picture thing that happened. But sometimes it's a small thing like a conversation. Uh, we just, will we actually see that? So, in this, in our own life right now, like sometimes God does, some, I believe this, that God will send prophets. We, I believe that there are prophets still today working, calling people out. What prophets do is they speak truth, not just about the future, but actually right now. And they can clarify some of the things in the past and say, okay, this is God's purpose. Um, and for us on a daily basis, like if you have the gift of prophecy, sweet. Don't call yourself prophet, by the way. Just have the gift of prophecy. You know what I mean? Secondly, like, sometimes God speaks some, sometimes in that way, and it's clear, sometimes it's not. But we have this gift that some of us have probably, I've taken, taken it for advantage and stuff like that, but the Word of God is actually a, God, a prophecy from God as well. 
If you want to know what God is going to say, you should probably read what he's already said. So are you taking time to, to read his scripture? Are you taking time not just to look for like the verse of the day, but to actually dive into it? You don't have to go to college to be a Bible, like to understand it. It's written for us. And as you get to know more and part of it, like then you get to see clear pictures. And it's not just like the idea of just knowing it, but are we going to apply it? What we teach in our band and stuff is like you should read through it, understand what God is actually saying, but then there should be a moment that, yep, this is the, this is the part of Scripture I'm going to apply, like forgiving one another. Really? That's hard to actually apply. It's great to understand. You can say it. Bear one each other's like burdens, stuff like that. When you put that stuff into, pra- into practice, that's when it gets challenging. I, you really want me to forgive that person? They cut me off. I have the right to be on time. All this like, And you can justify it, or you can just do what God actually says to do. So that's part of this prophecy. And as you do this, God will speak clear for you, and you'll get to hear him understanding stuff, like, like clear and stuff like that. But God is always preparing his, his people. Um, so, <coughs> sorry. Part of what I want us to understand is that challenging seasons change the relationship dynamics. We're going to step into holiday season, and there's going to be some challenging things. And some of us are like, great, I have to go talk to that person from our family. And just understand it's going to change relational dynamics. The, the times of Midian and Israel, they weren't always horrible. It wasn't always these bad, tense moments. Um, they're actually from the same family. So here's Abraham, or sorry, Genesis chapter 25. Abraham took his another wife. His name is Keturah. Uh, she bore him Zimron, Jokshan, whatever, Median and Median, uh, Ishbak and Shua. Uh, and so verse 4, the sons of Midian were Iphah, Ephir, Hanak, and Abida. Uh, and the, these, these are the descendants. Verse 5, Abraham had left everything he owned to, I, to Isaac. This is where the line of Israel is going to come from, from Isaac. But while he was still alive, in verse 6, it says that Abraham sent gifts to the sons of the concubine and sent them to the east. Here's the map of where the Midian, the Midians, the Amalekites, and all that, right up here, if you want to put that up, Shad. So in this map, you see how close they are, but you see this is where Abraham sent, hey, Isaac's in the same Canaan. All these families from this concubine are going to go to the east. And when you read the book of Judges, Besides the Philistines, every single nation that gets listed here of, of, of oppressing them and stuff like that are going to be from the east. And they're going to dive right in and just kind of oppress and like bully and stuff like that. There's a little bit of jealousy, I'm sure. Like, seriously, Abraham, you left all this land to Isaac and you just gave us gifts and moved us to the east? Thanks a lot. You know what I mean? Um, but there's, even then, this wasn't always the, the time that it got bad. In the book of Exodus, we see this where Moses flies e- or flees Egypt, and he goes to, the, to Midian, Exodus chapter 2. And he shows up, and he takes care of this, his future wife, um, and, and she's the daughter of the priest of Midian. It's the same word priest here for, that's described in Genesis as Melchizedek, the priest of Salem. Here's Jethro, the priest of Midian. Of El, of El Shaddai, stuff like that. Um, and so it wasn't always bad. There were some good times for the, for the, in Midian and Egypt and stuff like that. It's on Midian soil that Israelites will make this covenant relationship between uh, Yahweh and God, or God and Israel. In Exodus chapter 19, Numbers chapter 7, Jethro, who's from Midian, is going to suggest, hey, restructure Israel. Like, there's some good things that come out of Midian. It's not always bad. We love to say it's always good or it's always bad. Those people over there, always bad, right? 
Is there anything that can good come out of fill in the blank? But if you look at the whole picture, there's usually some good things that come out of both sides. Don't, once again, do we always have to choose a side? Probably not, right? You can always just choose, choose truth. There's that too. But challenging seasons will change the relationship dynamics. 2013, I left uh, the Toyota company I was at in production management. I left on a Friday, went to start working at a church that we had been attending, stuff like that. And Heather was on staff already. I came in as a uh, teaching pastor and missions pastor. And that Monday that I started, the board called for an emergency board meeting and asked for the resignation of the senior pastor. And I was like, this is great timing, God. So, um, so I remember having this feeling of like, you really couldn't think this through, through God, right? Like, this, this is great. So in our denomination, when the senior pastor leaves, all the staff has to resign as well. And I was like, this is awesome. Thanks a lot. You know what I mean? So the Church of 2000, uh, all this took place, and it led into a massive church split. There's issues I won't even get into. Um, but here's what I will say. We had been part of this church up for about 10 years at this point. We had deep friendships on both sides of the issues. And I remember thinking, man, we're getting ghosted by both, both sides because we chose not to make a decision right away. But we stayed on, like we prayed. God, like I could, by policy, I could have gone back to Toyota and been like, stayed in there. And it would have been very easy, very convenient. <clears throat> and I remember God saying to me during the time of prayer, I didn't call you back into full-time ministry based on circumstances. And I was like, that would have been nice to know, God. Like, I probably would have been like, peace out. Hey, how about that radiator? You know what I mean? Um, and stuff like that. But, um, but I remember having this feeling of like, man, I'm going something, to, something has to break here. Uh, and I remember going to the grocery store with our boys. And I think Heather was off doing something else. But we saw friends from both sides, like, at the same time, like, both sides of the issues, the church split. And not one of them would say hi to us. And I was like, hey, and Chad and Carson are trying to ask questions. I'm like, there's, yeah, like, it just changed everything. Because these challenging situations led into changing dynamics relationally. Uh, and that, that was a painful thing. But uh, here's the deal. When it comes down to how we actually challenge and, and change into it, confrontation is necessary. It's part of the thing that we just have to deal with. Uh, and we see this. And so here's, this leads us to verse 11. Here's the angel of the Lord showing up, Right? In Asian scriptures, it may say capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Uh, he came and he sat under this oak tree. Uh, it belonged to jo Joash the Abyssalite, uh, and where Gideon was threshing wheat and a wine press to keep it from the Midians. Now, here is what you typically would do with threshing wheat. You go to the highest point on the eastern side of the, of the village. You put it all in this pile. This next picture will show you. You kind of throw it up in the air, uh, and you let the, the chaff would blow, be blown away by the wind. The wheat would fall down. And then after that, you would take these boards and you would run them over this next part uh, and you would grind out even more. You would separate even more. So do you want this in a wine press? Here's a picture of a wine press. This gives you a better picture. It's an enclosed underground thing in a cave. Are you really going to thresh a lot of wheat when there's no wind? You're not going to thresh a lot of wheat and you can't throw it high up in the air. If you go to the next picture, there's a... You can see a better idea of a cave and stuff like that. And so you're not going to do this, but here's Gideon in a wine press trying to thresh wheat. He's acting in cowardness. He's not brave. He's not a mighty warrior. 
He's acting as a coward. And by the way, let's go back to who this figure is. This is Jesus himself before they knew him as Jesus. The angel of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your scriptures. What we're going to see in verse 14 is that this figure, this person, bears the name of Yahweh in verse 14. Verse 16 speaks as Yahweh. Verse 20 holds authority as Yahweh. Verse 22 to 24 receives worship as Yahweh. Anytime an angel, a messenger, shows up, they cannot speak for God. They can only deliver the message. So whenever there's questions asked, they're like, I don't know, this is the only message I can give you. Right? They cannot receive worship. If they do, they're going to be judged or punished and stuff like that. Um, and you'll see that in the book of Revelation and stuff like that. But here's the angel of the Lord showing up, and he can do all these things because he's God himself. Is Gideon acting like he's a mighty warrior? Not really. But yet here's God calling him out. You are the mighty warrior. Um, and so part of what we have to understand is God will call you out for your potential. He's not waiting for you to get ready. He's like, hey, I see the potential in you. Why? Because you bear his image. He knows you. He made you. Even if you don't believe it yourself. There's times where God will say, yep, that's it. Let's do this, right? And he's not going to wait for you to get good enough or ready or anything like that. The second thing that we see here, notice Gideon's response in verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Have you ever done that to God? You say you're good, then why is my bank account dried up? You say you're good, why did I get fired? You say you're good, then why did I get this diagnosis? Right? So sometimes we just have to be honest with God. Jesus says, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. Have at it. Just let him have it. You know what I mean? Um, where are all these wonders that the ancestors told us about? Didn't the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Then Lord has abandoned us to give us over the hands of Midian? Like we, we sometimes we hold things back from God that we really feel. And God's like, why are you doing this? If you really feel this way, just let God have it. He can take it. And sometimes, like if you read the Psalms, there's a lot of crying out to God and saying, God, you say this, but what are you doing here? Right? It's the Psalms of Lament. Um, because here's the deal. Gideon has this theology, though, that's based on circumstances and conditional situations. If things are good, then he can believe in Yahweh. When things go bad, probably not. Right? Going back to last week, what do we assume about God? Do we assume that God is good? Or do we assume that God is always out to get us? And so God is going to start working into Gideon's mind. He's going to start working into his thoughts. He's going to start working into his identity. And he's going to start dealing with some of the beliefs that Gideon has. And the second thing about, or the second or third, whatever it is, is that God is going to walk with Gideon. He's literally going to hold Gideon's hands. Gideon's going to ask for time after time of testing, of signs. It gets to the point where it's like, dude, if you don't believe me, I'm just going to kill you and go somebody else. Like, that's how, like, it, it gets to that point. Does that make sense? Like, seriously, what are you doing here? How many more signs do you need, right? But yet what we see through scriptures is that Yahweh is holding his hand and showing up and saying, okay, you want a dry fleece this time? I'll give you a dry fleece. You want a wet fleece this time? I'll give you the wet fleece. You want all these other signs? I'll give it to you. And what we see here is God is going to call potential out. He's a cow Gideon is a coward acting like a coward in this wine press. And yet God is saying, hey, you're a mighty warrior. Here's the deal. You may be acting like a moron, and somebody just needs to tell you you're acting like a moron. But deep down, you don't, you're not a moron. 
you have the potential, you just may be making stupid decisions that are going to lead down to a path of destruction. So why not call you out to your potential? I love that God doesn't just leave us where we're actually currently at. That he calls the destiny and the potential out in you. Because he sees it in you. He created you with that. He, ha- he made you on purpose with a purpose. And some of us, we just like, how horrible would it be like, oh, God's telling me I'm doing a great job and you're not doing a good job. And you're going to lead to passive destruction, but at least you're encouraged all the way. Good job, way to go, keep going. No, like, some of you just need to be told, stop. You're a moron, don't do this, repent. What does repent mean? You actually stop and you turn around and you go the other way. What's so harsh about that? And some of us, we get like, I, myself included, I didn't say some of us, like we get really upset when people like call us out for that. But the beautiful thing about God is he sees the potential in you. He sees the potential in us. And he just calls it out. There's nothing wrong with being called out. Gideon's name, the root, the origin here is Gada. And it means hewn off or chopped down or cut down to size. Time and time again, throughout Gideon's life, every time he's been heard the name Gideon, He's been told you've been cut down to size. For seven years now, the Midianites have been ruling Gideon. He's been cut down to size. There's going to have to be some changing of the beliefs and changing identities and changing of all this. And this is what God does. He doesn't wait for Gideon to get good enough. He just shows up and does it. And the same is true for you and I. So now what? What do we actually do about this? Some of us find ourselves in current situations that we've created ourselves, that we're going to deal with natural consequences. And whatever those consequences are, great. Just deal with them. Don't avoid them. Deal with them face on. And in that moment, you have a choice of either fleeing from it, distracting yourself from it, or maturing through it. Let God mature through it. God wants to do something in you, and he also wants to do something through you. But if we constantly are distracting ourselves, and we're constantly just going, oh, I want to feel good about myself then you're never going to mature it through it. You'll get older because that's natural reality as well. Your hair is going to migrate, but you just won't mature. You're going to figure out how to deal with this, right? It'd be horrible for you to be 14-year-old maturity and but 40 years old in actual physical health. Mature along the way. And the only way you do that is you deal with the consequences that are there. But know this as well, that God is with you. He does not wait for you to get good enough. You're never going to get good enough. But he also calls the potential out that he sees in you. And he says, hey, let's do this. And he'll give you a plan to actually step that out and do this. So what does it look like? Confess it, whatever that it is. Confess it, believe that scriptures are who he says he is, like who Jesus says he is, and repent. Seek forgiveness from God and from others, whoever that others is. That was one of the most awkward things I had to do is when I went back and started seeking forgiveness of people that I've hurt, that I sinned against, and all that but it's one of the most important aspects of following Jesus. This is one of those things that he continually does. And so, <clears throat> and just be exclusive to Yahweh. Let's pray. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for who you are. Thanks for everything you've done for us and everything you will do for us. God, thanks that you do not wait for us to get good enough or pure enough or anything like that. But God, you show up. While we were strangers, while we were still sinners, you showed up for us. And what we celebrate at Christmas is that this is going to be you on this earth, God, from that point forward. 
That is, John the Baptist got everything ready for Jesus. Jesus got everything ready for the Holy Spirit. And that you've been in the process of getting your good earth back, your good creation back. The humans made in your image, you're going to get us back as well. And part of that is just changing our beliefs and changing our identities and understanding who we are and whose we are, the fact that we are made on purpose, with a purpose. So Jesus, I pray that we would find ourselves where we're at right now. But that would also confess, draw out the potential. That we wouldn't lie about it, we wouldn't try to church things up, that we would just be honest about the current situations that we find ourselves in. And that we would watch you do miraculous things over and over and over again. We love you, God. It's in your name we pray this. Amen. I would encourage you to read the rest of uh, Judges chapter 6 and 7 and see how God shows up in this story uh, beyond that. So uh, if you are new with us today, we'd love to connect with you at guest services. Uh, if you are planning on sticking around and helping us wrap gifts, that'd be awesome. And go get your kids, by the way, and all that. Uh, and then we'll set up some tables and we'll start wrapping gifts. But know this to be true, that God loves you and I love you. And as we follow him, we'll counter the best he has to offer for us. So let's go and be the church. Have a good week. We'll see you next Sunday.